City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the third floor. So have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like an outsider? Where you sort of looked around at everything around you and said, yeah, I do not think that I belong here. I think most of us have experienced that feeling, whether in a small way we walk into a new coffee shop and it's very cool and we don't feel nearly cool enough for that given coffee shop. But some of us feel it in bigger ways too, right? Uh, I remember uh, about 10 years ago, uh, I moved to South Carolina. And I moved to South Carolina from here, the Bay Area, and Tampa Bay is not very southern. Uh, If you have lived here for any length of time, you'll know uh, that in Florida, the further you go south, the further you go north. So that South Florida here has more in common with the upper Midwest and New England than it does with Atlanta that shares a lot more proximity to us. And so when I got to South Carolina, I just felt like a fish out of water. The first, uh, the first night we were there, uh, we were unpacking our things. My wife says to me, you know what I could really go for? I could go for some comfort food. I want, I want a margarita and Taco Bell. And I said, you know what? That sounds absolutely wonderful. But it was a Sunday in South Carolina. And I didn't realize that what I wanted was illegal. I felt like an outsider. I didn't know. I didn't know that was a thing. Not only that, I got up there and all of the guys golfed. And I hate golf. Golf is a very expensive way to get frustrated. I can get frustrated for free. I don't need to pay to go get mad. And not only that, they they wore different shoes. I mean, literally from millionaires to servers, everyone in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where we were, wore Sperry's. I felt like I was walking around constantly, looking around going, what are those? I was absolutely an outsider in that culture. And and there's a way in which all culture does that. There's a way in which part of what culture always does is sort of draws a line and says, if you know these things, if you do these things, you're a part of this culture, and if you don't, you're not, and you're outside of it. All culture tends to separate us from one another, whether that's bigger, broader picture culture, Or even narrow culture, where the people who go to one coffee shop don't like the people that go to the other coffee shop. The people that look down their noses for people that like one style of music and not another. It it can be large and it can be small. What's interesting is that we at City Church have been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians together. And, And we've encountered a number of times this point that we get to where we are absolutely culturally distant from the moment that Paul was writing about. And and this morning, we're going to feel that in full force. Paul is going to be talking about a lot of things that are not just culturally removed from us, Americans living in the 21st century, 
but are culturally strange and that we, we don't quite understand. And so today we're going to do something a little bit differently than we normally do, which is I'm going to give you some setup, a little bit more setup to this passage of the Bible that we're going to read, because quite frankly, of all the chapters in the Bible, this is one of the weirdest. If you were to sort of open up your Bible one day and decide, I'm just going to read where the Bible falls open to, and this was where you got to, you would walk away scratching your head going, this is strange. This is weird, and I don't know what's going on. So I want to set the table with a couple of things that are going on in Corinth. First of all, one of the things that I want to point out is the way that people in Corinth worshipped at the time that Paul was writing this letter. Those folks who had come out of the other religions around Corinth participated in a sort of religion that was very... Ecstatic. Uh, if you've seen the movie 300, it was a very popular film about, gosh, 10, 12 years ago. Um, there's a moment where they want to consult the oracle, and they go to the oracle at Delphi, and it is sort of this very sort of uh, chaotic, uh, transcendent moment. And that was a lot of what worship in the places around Corinth looked like. It was chaotic. It was ecstatic. It was driven by emotion. And not only that, it was a very call and response. You would go to the oracle and ask your question, and then the oracle would respond to your question. So then Paul comes to town and says, no, no, guys, I've got the true God. And the people of Corinth began to believe in Jesus. But the question was, all of these ways that we understand how religion works, all of these ways that we understand what's going on are different in Christianity. And yet, can we do some things the same? And so what was interesting was there was two gifts that the people of Corinth uh, really focused in on. And one was a gift that the Bible calls tongues. Which, before we even get into what that is, sounds strange. right? Even in our culture, if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard the term speaking in tongues. And typically, it is not something culturally well-beloved. It's not something that you would normally attach... Uh, to something that was sensible. And in the Bible, it seems that there were two different types of speaking in tongues that were going on. Uh, the first we saw uh, at places like when Peter preached at Pentecost. Peter, Peter stood up and preached at Pentecost, and people were there from countries around the world. And they were, he was understood in dozens of languages. So it seems that there was, at the time of the New Testament, this idea that the words of certain preachers would be heard in languages that they never understood and that they weren't even speaking in. The second thing that the Bible seems to talk about, and that's actually talked about in our passage here in 1 Corinthians 14, is this idea of an ecstatic prayer language. And the people in Corinth decided that if you wanted to really be a Christian, if you really wanted to have it going on, that was what you would do. You would pray to God in this ecstatic language. And Paul's going to come along and say something really interesting. Paul's going to come along and say that if that is your goal, then ultimately what you're being is selfish. 
Paul is going to contrast that in the chapter we have with the idea of prophecy. Again, a word that has a lot of loaded meaning in our culture, right? If uh, I were to begin to talk to you about prophecy, you would probably begin to get a little antsy. Because when we think of prophecy, we think of people like the reasonableist in Parks and Recreation, right? The doomsday prophets group who decide that on certain days, Zerp is going to come back and destroy the world. And when that day is not available for the park, what do they do? Oh, oh! I just, I just redid my calculations. Is the next weekend available in the park? Right? That's in our mind what we have fixed about prophecy. That it is a sort of uh, kind of wacky thing. What's interesting is what Paul talks about in the New Testament when he talks about prophecy is something that was meant to encourage the people that heard it, something that was meant to bring conviction and repentance. It was a word from God that was intended to convict and encourage and point people to Jesus. And something really happens interesting. I should have phrased that sentence reversed there. Something really interesting happens as you walk through the New Testament. You see, the, the New Testament as we have it is not set up chronologically. Matthew was not the first book of the New Testament written. Actually, it's one of the last. Right? First Corinthians did come before Second Corinthians, but other than that, it's not laid out in a way that is chronological. And so 1 Corinthians is actually one of the very first letters that Paul wrote. And if you line the Bible up chronologically, something happens in Paul's letters. As more and more of the New Testament comes into existence, Paul's focus begins to shift. Paul starts talking less and less about tongues and prophecy and encouraging people more and more to be attentive to what would become the New Testament. It's interesting, Paul makes a big deal out of prophecy and tongues here in 1 Corinthians. But in the last letter that he writes, where he tells Timothy, his his sort of intern, his young man that he was bringing up to take over for him, when he begins to tell him how to pastor a church, do you know how many times he mentions tongues? None. Do you know how many times he mentions prophecy in this way? Also, none. Because what happened is, as the New Testament came into being, the need for this sort of extemporaneous word from God became less and less necessary because they had something better. Instead of prophecy, they got more and more about preaching. And so the chapter that we're going to read is all about Paul telling this church at Corinth, here's why tongues and prophecy, how they fit together, and what you should be doing as a church. Now, what's our temptation when we come to this? Even, even with all this background information that I have quickly dumped onto you, what's our temptation here? Well, that's strange, that's complicated, and we don't do those things, so let's just move right along. Let's just skip. The temptation is there for us to sort of gloss over this and skip over this because it is strange to us. Because in many ways, we are an outsider to this text. But we're not going to do that today. Today we're going to jump in. I'm going to read the entire chapter. And as we read the entire chapter together, we're going to see and pick out and see if we can find ways that Jesus has this for us this morning. So if you would stand with me as I read 1 Corinthians 14. 
Apostle Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even if lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know this... Sorry, But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for such manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two, or at the most three, and each in turn. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church, and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made by another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but in peace." 
As in all of the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only one who it has reached? If any of you thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you, that they are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently in order. City Church, this is the Word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago, and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. I'm not one to say this, but I told you so. (laughs) Lot going on there, huh? A lot of stuff that's a little bit strange, a little bit foreign to our ears, a little bit tough to understand, right? A lot of talk of prophecy, a lot of talk of tongues, and then that weird thing where he seems to take women to task right near the end. What are we to make of all of this? As we read this, and we say, and we believe that the Bible is the real Word of God, and that though it was written 2,000 years ago, it is intended for the church throughout time, what are we to make of all this? I think as we look at this, what we're going to see is that as we examine our own lives and this text, as we sort of try to bridge that gap between ancient Corinth and modern St. Petersburg, what we see is that you and I prefer to build ourselves up and are less concerned with building the church and others up. What this passage is getting at, the heart issue that Paul is trying to show us, is that you and I are more interested in making ourselves look good, building our brand, making ourselves seem more important and inflated than we are really truly serving others and making them look good. Really truly serving the church and make, making it look good. See, the way that Paul begins is by talking about what kind of gifts we should seek. See, this is, this is connected to what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about the love chapter, that chapter that's read at all the weddings. And that goes in, Paul says, look, if you want to know how to truly love others, if you want to know how to work out that sort of love that I talked about this week, it's to seek the kind of gifts that show love to others, not build up yourself. He says tongues ultimately are a selfish endeavor if they're just to make me look good. If the reason that the people in Corinth were speaking in tongues was so that they looked important and that they looked spiritual, ultimately they were not so that the church would be built up. They were for their own building up. And Paul contrasts that with those who are speaking the word of God to others. Why? Because that's for everyone. That's for everyone to hear and to understand. Paul says, whatever your gifting is, the way that we should be using our gifting is to see others built up in Jesus. Paul said, look, do you want to see the Holy Spirit work in unique and miraculous ways? Seek to build up others. Now that's counterintuitive. Because when I think of wanting to see the Holy Spirit work, where do I want to see God make the most changes? In me. Right? I want God to work in me. If He works in you, that's great. Good. Thank you. But what I really care about is myself. Myself. 
And Paul says, no, the way that we see God at work the most is when we focus not on ourselves, but focus on others. Focus on what is going to encourage and build up others. What Paul is attacking here is the idea of doing these showy religious works. When it comes to making yourself look very religious, speaking in tongues will do the trick, won't it? You, you seem very religious when you speak in tongues. But true Christianity is far more concerned with how I can build others up, not how I can make myself look good. See, how much of our time is spent cultivating ourselves so that we look good to others? How much of our time is making sure that of those 75 selfies, we pick the perfect one on Instagram so that we look just right? How much of our time is spent making sure our LinkedIn profile has the right ratio of people saying nice... I don't know, I'm not on LinkedIn. Um, But some of y'all on LinkedIn and some of y'all sinning. That's the point of that. We cultivate ourselves. We make sure that we're seen in the right places. That we go to the right places. We spend a lot of time cultivating our image. And what Paul says is ultimately, whether we are cultivating that image in vain ways, like our online presence, or whether we are cultivating that image and showy in religious ways. You see, uh, most of us in this church do not speak in tongues. But how many of us make sure that everyone else knows when we do a good religious thing? When we help somebody. When we make a sacrifice. How many of us make sure everybody knows when we do something for the church? You see, what Paul is getting at in the church at Corinth is the way that they were being showy about their tongue, but it's the same thing that's at work in your heart and mine when we try to be showy, when we try to make sure everyone else knows how good we're being. He says, no, you need to build up others. And when we build up others, we're loving them. You see, this is connected to 1 Corinthians 13 because when we're building up others, you know what we can't do? We can't envy them. If I'm truly interested in your good, am truly interested in you succeeding and flourishing in life, do you know what I can't do? Spend that time envying you. You know what I can't do? I can't be proud of how much better I am than you are if I'm truly trying to work for your good. You see, the way Paul is contrasting this is he is saying that you have to stop looking out for your own interest. You have to start loving others by serving them. And it's not just others who are around us, who are like us, who are a part of our tribes. It's interesting that Paul goes on this sort of tangent where he begins to talk about, look, if all y'all, if somebody walks into church and everybody's speaking in tongues, they're going to think that you're out of your mind. Greek word for you here, idiotis. They're going to think you're idiots. Right? Paul says, no, when you come together as a church, don't just be thinking about how you build one another up. Begin to think about what it looks like for you to engage with the culture around you. Ask the question, what would somebody think if they walked into church and saw this? 
It's interesting. Uh, there was an article on Medium this week written by uh, Kathy Keller. And Kathy Keller's uh, husband, Tim, is the pastor at Redeemer uh, Church in New York City. And we unabashedly steal a bunch of stuff from them. We are shameless in that. If you've been around us much, you probably can figure that out pretty easily. But one of the things that she said in this article, she was reflected on 30 years of church planting in Manhattan, was at the very beginning of the church, they would always ask them, themselves, not what do I want out of church, but what would the average Manhattanite who walked in our doors think about us doing this? Because what's what's my heart and your heart normally want out of church? I want to sing the songs that I like. I want to do the things that I want to do. And I want to hang out with the people that I like that are just like me. And if I just begin to draw a circle and say, I want to hang out with the circle, and don't begin to look and ask questions like, what, what would somebody who walked in think about if they saw this or do this? It's interesting. This is, for those of you who are at City Church, is a real practical example of this. If you've been coming here for any length of time, you have heard my Apostles' Creed spiel several times. You have heard my Confession of Sin spiel several times. You have heard me talk about communion on a regular weekly basis. Guess what? Tough. We're not going to change that. The reason we're not going to change that is because we're asking this exact question. If an outsider walks in, what would they think? What would they think if we were sort of all, let's be honest, chanting the Apostles' Creed together? That's strange. Like the only other time that we in American 21st century culture do anything else like that is the Pledge of Allegiance. Which is interesting because that is so close in so many ways to what the Apostles' Creed is. It is our pledge of allegiance to the Christian faith. But we ask the question, what would somebody who didn't know Jesus think about this? Which is why we stop and explain it. Which is why you get to lunch a little bit later than other people. Right? Because we take five extra minutes in our service. Why do we do that? Because of this text. Because Paul says, be thoughtful of what other people are around you. Be thoughtful about the way that you engage other people. The problem is our pride and our comfort make us not like change in outsiders. We don't like change in outsiders. Our pride says... Well, I don't, I don't want these new people coming to church. They don't, they don't act Christian enough. That's right, they don't, because they're not Christians. And those are the kind of people we want in city church. And if that's not your speed, that's okay. There are tons and tons of churches that preach Jesus. But not only does our pride get in the way, but our comfort does. Some of you have been around since we were in the coffee shop. And there were some things that were really nice when we were meeting in the coffee shop. It was small. It was intimate. The sound, the acoustics in there were incredible for that little room. It was great. And the coffee was almost as good as Bandit Cold Brew. And the variety, I mean, it, it was comfortable. Why change? Why move on? Because that's exactly what God is calling us to. He's calling us to stop looking at ourselves, to stop trying to show off our religious works and start building up others. Start focusing on others, both inside the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church. Now, I couldn't keep going 
and not address that that woman thing there at the end, right? I, I know about 50% of the congregation is kind of going, okay, fine with the rest of that sermon. Why Am I allowed to talk or not? Because Paul's language seems really strong, doesn't it? I will not permit a woman, woman to speak in church. Women should be silent. What is Paul getting at? Well, certainly not that women should never talk in church, because what did Paul do three chapters ago when he introduced this topic? He said, men and women are prophesying in your church, and that's a good thing. So how do we reconcile this? I think it comes back to what the theme of what's going on in this passage is. The theme is that we are supposed to build one another up. And what it seems like was happening in the, t- in the town of Corinth was that husbands and wife were coming to church and they were beginning to prophesy and they were um, using church to air their dirty laundry at one another. God says you shouldn't leave your towel on the floor of the bathroom. It's gross. Thus saith the Lord. It is awful if you squeeze your toothpaste with your fist like a toddler and don't neatly fold it up as you go. Thus saith the Lord, honey. And it seems that the people of Corinth were airing their dirty laundry. So what Paul is talking about here is again ways that we build one another up and love one another. We don't bring our own agenda into church. We let God set it. We don't push our own agenda. We don't bring the chaos of our lives into church and push it out on others. You see, the point of church is that we bring our chaos in and are let free from it. The point of church is that we bring our agenda in and let God transform it. And so what Paul is talking about is not just women, but men too, the way that we tend to bring our own preferences and our own problems with us in the door. You see, Paul says that order, things being done decently in an order, things being done in deference to one another, is the way that we build each other up. But the hard part about all of this is it requires us to set aside ourselves. In order to truly love someone else, you have to set aside your own wants. In order to truly love the city of St. Petersburg, we as a church have to set aside the things that we would prefer to do. It is a laying down of our life, which is something that each one of us struggles with. I want to do what I want to do. But this passage calls us to account, just like it mentions that prophecy does. It reminds us that yes, we fail at this often. Yes, we don't fail in the same way that the church at Corinth does, but our hearts harbor the same struggles. And it points us to Jesus, who set aside His own needs, who set aside His own life to build us up. And not only does He build us up, but because of the death of Jesus, we who are foreigners and outsiders to God are welcomed as beloved children. No matter what our history, no matter what our past, no matter what our culture, the death of Jesus reconciles each one of us together into the arms of Jesus. 
where we find forgiveness and acceptance that we desperately need. So what? So here we have a passage all about tongues, all about prophecy, with a lot of strange hiccups and speed bumps along the way. What does that mean for us this week? For one thing, it's a call to repent. Repent of the ways that you ignore others, that you focus on yourself. Repent of the ways that you spend time building your brand, using showy religious works to advance your own agenda. And begin to believe that Jesus is your welcome to God. That you no longer have to prove anything. That you no longer have to earn anything. That because of Jesus, you are welcomed in. And then when we begin to understand that, we begin to welcome others. We begin to genuinely show that sort of love that is not contingent on behavior begins to flow out of us into the relationships in our lives. It begins... To allow us to selflessly build others up, even if it's at the cost of my own ego. We begin to sacrifice what is comfortable to welcome others. City Church, our church will be measured by how well we set aside our own pride, envy, and ego. And how well we serve one another and serve the flourishing of St. Petersburg. That's going to be the measuring stick by which we are measured. May God change us and make us into the church He is calling us to be. Let's pray.